I'd invite your attention to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be looking in verse 25 through 29 today at a message I call a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. This text this morning is not a popular sermonic passage. And I mean by that that you don't hear a lot of preaching about it. It's not the subject of many sermons. Like any passage of Scripture, though, it has a context. It is a part of a larger discussion. And that has to be considered in order to gain good understanding of this passage. We refer to the writer of the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews does not indicate who its earthly writer was. We don't know. Uh, But he wrote to a Jewish audience. And though that is true, and thus the name Hebrews, uh, it is not a truth that is only applicable to them. Uh, He wrote in a time when the Jews for generations had presented a united front in any culture, wherever they were scattered throughout all of the earth, the Jews uh, stood united one with another. But the message of Jesus had divided them exactly as he said it would. And as persecution rose and difficulties came, many of the Jewish believers were tempted, though they had believed in Jesus, to go back to the practice of Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews was inspired then to write them encouragement, encouragement to go on with their faith, and a warning, several of them in fact, against turning back. As such, it appeals to us in the midst of difficult times today because we all stand in need of that same encouragement, the encouragement to go on with our faith and not turn away from it or turn back to something else. Now, the argument the writer made in the book of Hebrews spans the first ten chapters. We have then the last three chapters of practical application that begins with chapter 11 and the great faith chapter, and then on with chapter 12, which challenges us uh, to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. And then here in chapter 12, we find out that the finish line of this race is when we get to heaven. And so it ends up with a great heavenly scene in Hebrews chapter 12. And it provides us then with some incredible information and incredible truth. He's going to take us on a journey because he goes all the way back to Moses and Mount Sinai and the giving of the law in the Old Testament. And that's in the book of Exodus, as in Genesis, Exodus. All the way back to there. And he's going to bring up when God gave Moses the law on the mountain. He goes from there all the way ahead to the time of Christ's return and into the heaven ages and beyond. 
And I want to show you, though, as we look in this passage, how this relates to our situation so well. In verse 27, he says, Yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are made. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. It does not require a seminary degree in order to understand what this passage is talking about. God promises that He will shake and remove everything that can be shaken so that all that's left are the things that cannot be shaken. God, you see, knows. He knows us well. And he knows that we have a tendency to get so preoccupied with the things of the material creation, as this passage calls them, the things that are made, that we forget that the true source of stability in our life, the true source of security in our life, and the true source of satisfaction in our life is not found in things. Jesus Christ himself said it best. His life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. It is not in things. Things serve to distract us from where the true source of stability, the true source of security, the true source of strength, the true source of satisfaction are found. And that is in him, in God, and what he gives us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have all perhaps found entirely too much of our life dominated by the things that can be shaken. God has a long history of shaking things up. I I had a lot of passages in here I was going to point your attention to today, but I've got so much to share with you, I just can't do it. I'm just going to tell you, when you start looking in the Scriptures at all the times that God talks about shaking things up or shaking or the things that He's going to shake, you're going to be reading for a pretty good while. God has a long history of shaking things up. Today we're going to concentrate just our attention here on this great passage. There's a historical scene. That's Exodus and Mount Sinai. There's a prophetic scene. And we'll see that in the book of Haggai. And then there's the here and now scene that the writer makes. First notice then the historical view. Verse 25, he said, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then, that's at Mount Sinai, shook the earth. Now the writer begins with a very straight up instruction for all of us. We need to listen to God. What do you say? See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now, perhaps you might remember how it was when you were a teenager, a younger child, and uh, your parents had to get your attention in order to uh, then get you to listen to what they were saying. Uh, Your mind was elsewhere. Your attention was elsewhere. You weren't paying attention. Let me ask you a question. Could your parents get your attention? Maybe you've grown from that, and now you have kids of your own. Do you ever find your kids sitting there zoned out on their iPad and you're sitting there talking to them and they don't hear a word you're saying? Have you ever had to go to them and get your attention and say, Hey, listen to me. 
uh, maybe you uh, did, uh, did that a little bit <laughs> more forcefully. And so that's a good thing. Um, that's a good thing. Do we know how to get our children's attention? Of course we do. It's a bad thing when parents are speaking to their children, but their children aren't listening. It's a bad thing when wives are talking to their husband, but they're not listening to a thing that she's saying. That's a bad thing. But nothing is as bad as a Christian who is so fixated on life and living that he stops listening to God. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews begins with this instruction, See, make sure you listen. You give heed to what God is saying. You listen to God. Don't refuse what He has to say. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you a bit this morning. This is straight up absolute truth. We have been entirely too fixated on the things of this world and the things of this life, and the enjoyment of it. We didn't think that we were neglecting God, but we were. We didn't see it as an act of refusal, but God did. We didn't see it as an act of rebellion, but God did. We didn't see it as an act of rejection, but God did. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says, See that you do not refuse him that speaks. Imagine this is the almighty God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the sovereign God who sits enthroned on high, who holds our very life in his hands. And this God with seven plus billion people on this planet has taken time to give a message to you and to me. And we're not listening. How bad is that? How bad is that? For us to say, eh, not right now, God. I, <laughs> I got a game to play. I, I, I got a place to go. I, I've got something to do. I... Right of Hebrews is straight up with us. This is no time for refusing the one who speaks. He takes them back then, more or less as an example, of the time when God's voice shook the very earth at Mount Sinai. The mountain was described as bellowing with smoke. And the ground was shaking as Moses went up there on the mountain to meet with God. We might think this was a volcano. This was no volcano. This was the presence of God on the mountain that caused that billowing smoke, that caused that scene of fire that they saw at night, that saw, caused the shaking of the ground all around. It was a terrifying sight. But you know, it wasn't long that while Moses was up there communing with God and receiving the law on the mountain, the people were down there below. And when Moses didn't get back on time and they looked up there at that smoke, they said, you know, Moses, I guess, been burned up. I don't know. We haven't heard from him. I tell you what, Aaron, we'll give you all of our gold and, and you just mold it into a, a calf and we'll make that our God. And they did. Right up there on the mountain was Moses spewing out fire and or God spewing out fire and smoke and ground trembling with the voice of God. 
down on below. They were breaking every law that God was giving them, including number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God's voice was shaking the earth. And the people were down below partying it up. Let's just say that didn't turn out real well for them. The Bible tells us that God plagued them for their sin. And in fact, by the time they were done, a whole generation would die and not go into the promised land because of their unbelief, because they refused Him that spoke. Though His his voice was shaking the earth, they didn't listen. No wonder the writer of the book of Hebrews then calls up this historical scene and says, See that you do not refuse him that spoke. Because if his voice shook the earth then, his point is, how much more is he shaking it now? That's his point. But in order to make that point then, he's going to jump ahead to a prophetic scene. And you see that, we see that in verse 26. There's a historical scene. Now there's a prophetic scene whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this is a quotation from the Old Testament prophet Haggai. Verse 6 of Haggai 2, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now this prophecy has to do with the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. You believe in Jesus this morning? If you do, then you believe that Jesus is coming back. He said it. He said it multiple times. But perhaps as clearly as anywhere in John chapter 14 and verse 2, where he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus has promised it very plainly, very emphatically, in this and many, many other passages, I'm going to come again. Certainly, in association with that coming, there'll be a tremendous shaking of the world and of the world systems that will usher in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Generations have lived and died looking for Jesus to come again. That's true. (laughs) But sooner or later, folk, one generation is going to be the one that sees it. And it might be ours. It could just as well be this one as any other. In fact, we have more reason to believe that it's going to be our generation than any other generation in history. You say, how do you know that? Because Israel exists as a nation. When Israel was reborn as a nation in 1948, it was the fulfillment of countless prophecies in the Scripture. One of the signs of His coming was that Israel would be regathered. We've seen that happen. We've seen it happen. The Bible tells us that in association with the return of Jesus Christ, this shaking of the world will play out. And in fact, God devoted an entire book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, to speak of the days of of His coming and the time that the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble. The word revelation in our English 
is translated from the Greek word apocalypso. It's the word our word apocalypse is derived from. Yes, that's where all of this apocalyptic thinking came from. It's all bound up in the book of Revelation. There will come a day when all the kings under the earth will be shaken and fall to the ground like figs when the tree is shaken by a mighty wind. That's in Revelation 6.13, if you want to read it. So the writer of Hebrews gives us a historic view, and he goes all the way back to Mount Sinai when God once shook the earth with His Word. He gives us a prophetic view then of it as he looks ahead to the time when God is going to shake the earth and all things that are in it. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But as he does so, then he gives us a very present view. Look at it in verse 27. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken are being shaken. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I want to do that again. Notice that the writer of Hebrews talks about the removal of things that are being shaken. So that he applies Haggai's prophecy, looking ahead to the time when Jesus comes. Certainly, the world is going to be shook up then. But he applies that to their situation then in the New Testament era. And it certainly applies equally well to our situation that God is shaking things. Maybe not all the time, but he's certainly capable of doing so, shaking things so that he can remove the things that can be shaken and that the things that can't be shaken will remain. Everyone who listens to this message today and even all those around the world who will never hear this or perhaps any other message, the simple truth of it is that all of humanity today is under one of these two situations. Either you are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken or you are in a kingdom that can be shaken. And if you are in the kingdom that can be shaken, then everything that can be shaken is going to be removed. And only then those who are in the kingdom that can't be shaken will remain. The Bible gives us similar teachings in many, many places. Jesus told the story about the man who built his house, and the house speaks of his life. The man who built his life on the sand... And when the winds came, then his house collapsed. And he opposed that with the person who built on the rock. And that rock was stable. And that house then stood against the test of the storms. He talked about those who were on the broad way that leads to destruction as opposed to those who were on the narrow way that leads to life everlasting you are today either in the kingdom that can be shaken or the kingdom that can't be shaken. Now, the Jewish audience to which this writer was speaking needed to hear that, and it had a particular application to them. 
Because for those Jewish believers who had received Jesus Christ, they had then been placed in the kingdom which cannot be shaken. But by thinking about going back to Judaism then, they were going back to something that had already been shaken and had collapsed under the weight of its fulfillment. Jesus said one jot or one tittle of the law will not pass away until it all should be fulfilled. And it had been fulfilled. Jesus took it to the cross and he nailed it to the cross and removed from us then that handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The law had fulfilled its purpose. It was our schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. Those Jewish believers then desperately needed to hear that. But we need to hear it just as well today because when you turn away from Jesus Christ, you don't turn away from Him to something else, but to nothing else. Because outside of Jesus Christ... There is nothing good or godly. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can't be shaken. And what can be shaken will not remain. Haggai mentioned five things. The heavens, and that that passage spoke probably of governmental authority. Things on earth. The sea, the dry land, and the nations, every nation. Five things. Things above the earth, things on the earth, things in the sea, <laughs> things in the sky, things on dry land, rather, things in, in all the nations, all the nations, all the peoples. They'll all be shaken. We look around us today, and a lot of things that we've looked at to give us security have been shaken. I want to talk about financial security today. If you want to hear some preacher offering you financial security today, you need to go to some other place. That's not on my menu. I, I can't offer you financial security. Wish I could, but I can't. Job security. I, I wish I could offer you job security, but I can't. I wish I could offer you physical security and tell you that your health is secure and you don't have anything to worry about. I can't offer you that. I wish I could offer you security for your family. I can't. I wish I could offer you security from our nation, but I can't. I can't offer you security for our civilization. And that new world order that everybody used to talk about so much doesn't seem very orderly anymore, does it? It all looks pretty shaky to me right now. But though I can't offer you financial security or job security or health security or national security or civilization security, thank God I can offer you eternal security through Jesus Christ. When God shakes things up, and He's doing that right now, then the things that can be shaken are taken out of the way so the things that can't be shaken remain. I'm going to show you some things this morning, and I admit that I have chosen these rather arbitrarily. We could have talked about a lot of different things, but I want to share with you some things today that God gives us through Jesus Christ that cannot be shaken. A lot of things can be shaken, but if you're a believer in Christ, these things can't be shaken. First of all, Thank God. God Himself cannot be shaken. 
Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. The writer of Hebrews said it best right here in this passage. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. How about Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9 where Daniel said, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. His garment was white as snow and the hair of His head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from Him. A thousand thousands ministered to Him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before Him. The court was seated, and the books was open. The Ancient of Days is ruling over all. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 speaks of the time when the angel would sound and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. (laughs) And uh, we were singing hallelujah with that from the hallelujah chorus uh, this morning. Paul quoted from Isaiah in Romans chapter 14. When he said, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow unto me. God's sovereign rule over all the earth has never been placed in jeopardy, and it never will be in jeopardy. God is not shaken. God himself then can't be shaken, but also God's word can't be shaken. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Throughout the history of humanity, God's word has been assaulted. All the way back to the days of the Roman Empire, when it was uh, made illegal to have any Christian writings, and, and they did their best to completely burn and destroy every single copy of the Bible that could be found all over the world. But there are many, many more throughout all of our history who have mocked and ridiculed and put down and rejected the Word of God. But for every person that rejects the Word of God, as we've already talked about this morning, there's always that tendency in our life to neglect it. To neglect it. The old preachers used to talk about having dust on our Bibles. A lot of folks don't even have Bibles. Listen, folks, we can carry it around in our pocket and in our phone, but that doesn't mean we're paying it much attention. The Word of God, though, though it is attacked, though it's ridiculed, though it is neglected, the Word of God stands. I don't know what you would count as your greatest treasure today, but I can assure you that one of the greatest treasures that we have in our life, salvation is another one. We'll talk about that in a moment. But one of the greatest treasures we have is the Word of Almighty God available to us today in a way that no other generation in history has ever had it. We have the Word of God. What a treasure that is. It's been interesting to me to look at version, and if you have it on your phone, you can pull it up, and right there on the front page, when you pull it up on your phone, you'll see that they'll have an article in there about amazing things that are happening. 
and how that they have tracked the usage of the Bible through version all over the world as people everywhere are turning to the Bible in unprecedented numbers to try to find comfort and help and instruction. Because we live in a world where truth sometimes seems to be falling in the streets. Whose truth? Fake truth. Your truth, not my truth. Listen, what matters is God's truth. We may not know sometimes who to believe. But then as Christians, we always know who to believe, don't we? We believe the Word of God. That's the one thing that is true and constant. God's Word cannot be shaken. God Himself cannot be shaken. God's promises then cannot be shaken. I realize that God's promises are to us according to His Word. I understand that. But I felt like we ought to give just particular notice to the fact that God's promises to us cannot be shaken. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible says that all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. And what 2 Corinthians 1.20 means to us in a practical way is that every promise of God comes to us through Jesus Christ. That is, in Jesus or yes. Whatever promise God makes to us, Jesus is the one who makes them. And it is also amen. You know what that means? That means that Jesus is the one who keeps them. And that's good news for us today. Because listen, we cannot give ourselves those promises. We can't give ourselves those assurances. And even if we could give ourselves a promise, uh, we aren't real good at even keeping our promises. Can we say that? Can we just go and admit it? Uh, How many of you have kept your New Year's resolutions? (laughs) Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to meddle with you. Um... All the promises of God are in Him, in Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. He makes them to us. He is the one who gives us those promises. And He is the one who's going to keep them. God's promises can't be shaken. God Himself can't be shaken. God's Word can't be shaken. Then God's salvation can't be shaken. John chapter 5 and verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but has passed from death into life. Jesus gave us two promises wrapped up in one in that passage about our salvation. And that is when we believe on Jesus Christ, he gives us everlasting life. And he tells us that you shall not come into condemnation. That means, folks, that our salvation cannot be shaken. Now, I wouldn't want to... uh, uh, I wouldn't want to imagine trying to live through life or even contemplate how to live through life without knowing that my salvation is secure. How could we have a salvation that can't be shaken if I can be saved today? But then, you know, I stumble, mess up, make a bad choice, say something I shouldn't say, think something I shouldn't think, do something I shouldn't do, and then all of a sudden, I'm lost again. The great evangelist Walter K. Ayers, who I love dearly and and was around many, many times, (laughs) 
He used to say, you know, God don't have a big eraser. Can you imagine how big of an eraser God would have to have if he would be up there writing our name down the land's book of life and then look at it all, we've messed up, and then start erasing it out. God don't have an eraser. He writes our name in the book of life. When we're saved, then he promises us that he would give us everlasting or eternal life and that we shall not come into judgment. Thank God today our salvation cannot be shaken. God can't be shaken. God's word can't be shaken. God's promises can't be shaken. God's salvation can't be shaken. God's love. God's love can't be shaken. I mentioned this passage for in Romans chapter 8 a, a, a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to preach about it again today, but I just remind you that the Bible says, neither height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's just a New Testament, not just a New Testament truth. Jeremiah chapter 31 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God Himself, God's Word, God's promise, God's salvation, God's love, God's love can't be shaken. And lastly, God's purposes cannot be shaken. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, Being confident of one thing, of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And that purpose and plan in a broad sense refers to his redemptive plan for us in Jesus Christ. You see, salvation was not an afterthought with God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't say, well, what do we do now? Because Jesus was presented to us as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world so that God had a plan and that redemptive plan for humanity has always been in place and it's still fully operational today. God has a plan in your life and we know that because He has saved us and He has called us with a holy calling. He didn't just take us home the moment that we're saved. He left us here so that we could continue to serve Him. God has a plan and God has a purpose. And that purpose is not going to be shaken. Every person under this message today is in either one or two places. Either you are in a kingdom that can't be shaken or you're in a kingdom that can't be shaken. And being in the kingdom, folk, is all about who you bow the knee to. Will we bow the knee to the King of Kings? And the answer to that question is yes. I've already quoted that passage to you in Romans chapter 14 where God Himself swore. And since He could swear by no greater, He swore by Himself. I swear by myself. I, I've sworn it. 
Every knee shall bow unto me. Every knee will bow. And if you bow to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you become a subject of His kingdom. And when you become a subject of Jesus Christ, you receive a kingdom that can't be shaken. I picked out six things today to talk to you about that come to you as a result of being in that kingdom that can't be shaken. I could have presented 60, 600. Who knows how many we could have come up with. What matters is that we understand that it all depends on our relationship to the King. Have you bowed the knee to heaven's King? Or are you rejecting His Word? I'm not asking you today what your parents might have done. Grandparents, great-grandparents. I'm asking you what you've done. The Bible tells us that Jesus came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He was buried, but He didn't stay buried. He rose again the third day. And because He lives, He gives you the opportunity of having eternal life in you. All you have to do is ask Him. Whosoever, Romans chapter 10 tells us, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what that means is that you acknowledge to God in prayer, I know that I've sinned. You know that. You know that you need a Savior because you can't save yourself. You know that too. I'm not going to tell you what to say. What you need to do tell Jesus you believe on Him and trust Him to be your Savior. And He will. I can't explain to you what that's going to feel like. (laughs) All I can tell you is it's going to be real and you'll know it. You're either in a kingdom that can't be shaken or in a kingdom that is being shaken.